This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair with my lipstick on, in a glass of purple dry. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, I'm joined by yet another phenomenal guest. Before I dive in and introduce, formally welcome my guest to the show of today, I just want to first thank my corporate sponsors, which are inclusive of Halton Honda, Forever, and AHA That!, I also want to remind people and also thank the C-Suite Radio Network, where, of course, following the live show, you can eventually find the podcast link of today's live show on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. So who is my guest today? Well, I can tell you I'm certainly honored and privileged to be interviewing Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. Dr. Marshall Goldsmith is the author or editor of 35 books, which have sold over 2 million copies, been translated into 30 languages, and became bestsellers in 12 countries. His two other New York Times bestsellers are Mojo and What Got You Here Won't Get You There, so true, the Harold Longman Award winner for Business Book of the Year. In February 2016, Amazon.com recognized the 100 best leadership and success books in their to read in your lifetime series. The list included classics and never newer books, management and self-help books. Both triggers and what got you here won't get you there were recognized as being in the top 100 books ever written in their field. Marshall is only one of two authors with two books on that list. Marshall's professional acknowledgments include Harvard Business Review and Best Practices Institute, World's Number One Leadership Thinker, Global Gurus, Inc., and Fast Company Magazines, World's Number One Executive Coach, Institute for Management Studies, Lifetime Achievement Award for Excellence in Teaching, American Management Association, 50 Great Thinkers and Leaders Who Have Influenced the Field of Management Over the Past 80 Years, Business Week, 50 Great Leaders in America, Wall Street Journal, Top 10 Executive Educators Economist, UK, Most Credible Executive Advisors in the Era of Business, National Academy of Human Resources, Fellow of the Academy America's Top HR Award, World HRD Congress, India, Global Leader in HR Thinking. His work has been recognized by almost every professional organization in his field. Dr. Goldsmith is a professor of management practice at the Dartmouth Tuck School of Business. His PhD is from UCLA's Anderson School of Management when he was the Distinguished Alumnus of the year. He is one of a select few executive advisors who has worked with over 150 major CEOs and their management teams. He served on the board of the Peter Drucker Foundation for 10 years. He has been a volunteer teacher for U.S. Army generals 
Navy admirals, Girl Scout executives, international and American Red Cross leaders, where he was a National Volunteer of the Year. Marshall's other books include Succession, Are You Ready?, a WSJ bestseller, The Leader of the Future, a Business Week bestseller. Three of his books have been American Library Association Choice Award winners for Best Academic Business Books of the Year. Over 300 of his articles, interviews, columns, and videos are available online at www.marshallsmithgoldsmith.com for viewing and sharing. Visitors to this site have come from 197 countries and have viewed, read, listened to, downloaded, or shared resources over 25 million times. Just wow, Marshall. You came out of the womb running, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for inviting me to talk with you. Well, when I say this is an honor and a privilege, there's no understatement to that. You are just killing it in the space. I mean, you're dominating the space and you're doing things in succession and you're reaching people all over the globe and you're empowering them to empower themselves. So I want to say kudos for you, for your commitment, your dedication and your longevity for all that you bring to the rest of us. So thank you so much. Thank you. So let's start with the inception of your journey. Uh, Marshall, because, you know, in spite of all the wonderful success and the accolades and the recognition and the acknowledgements, for those who, the loyal listeners who are tuning into the program and eventually the podcast subscribers, you know, a lot of people really gravitate to this program because they want the inspiration to kind of get unstuck in their lives. And so when they hear the success of people like you, sometimes it can be seemingly intimidating, it can seem far-reaching, it can seem impossible. So let's start with the inception of your journey. Before you became who you are now gleaned and recognized to be throughout the globe, where did this start for you? Well, I mean, I was brought up in a small town called Valley Station, Kentucky, in a very low-income, low-education environment. The middle school down the street came in next to last in academic achievement in Kentucky. So I wasn't exactly brought up with a you know silver spoon or a pass in life. Mm-hmm. And, and so what happened is, you know, I was very fortunate. Uh, my mother was a teacher. She worked very hard to teach me. I was able to go to college and then get scholarships and got a PhD at UCLA. And then I I met a very famous man, Dr. Paul Hersey, and he got double booked. And I'd been following him around to try to learn what he did. And, you know, he said, can you do what I do? And I said, I don't know. He said, I'll pay you $1,000 for a day. I was making $15,000 a year. That was 41 years ago. I was 28 years old. I said, I'll give it a shot. I ended up being incredibly successful. The client was angry when I showed up, but happy when I left and said, so much again. <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I got into this business. So, you know, a lot of life is number one luck, but a lot of it is just getting good mentors and great people to help you. I feel very blessed in the sense that I've had wonderful, wonderful people in my career. Paul Hersey, Peter Drucker, Warren Bennis, just great people. Alan Mulally, Francis Hesselbein, who've who've really gone out of their way to help me. And by the way, they've never charged me anything for it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, you said something that's worth going back and delving into. You mentioned luck. Now, that's a notion that gets thrown around. I don't personally believe in luck. I believe people create their own destiny or co-create their destiny. Um, I think it comes from massive action. I think it comes from honing a mindset. I think it comes from discipline and fortitude. 
Um, so for you to be as skilled as what you are, for you to have the impact on people to the degree that you do, and, you know, no isolated incident, you're, you're bang, banging this out of the park all the time with everything that you endeavor to do. So mm. do you truly believe that a lot of your good fortune and well-being comes from luck? Part of it. Let me, I'm, I like you, I believe in co-creation. I believe that we are responsible for our own destiny to a large degree. And I also believe we're not, we're not gods. We're not 100% responsible. So, for example, you know, I was ranked number one leadership thinker in the world. All the top thought leaders, everyone, were brought up speaking fluent English. Well, that's one, one person out of seven in the world. That part was luck. That part okay. was luck because I couldn't be the world's number one leadership thinker if I were not brought up speaking fluent English because I give speeches in English. 80% of all business books are sold in English. You know, that's something I had absolutely no control over. So that part is luck. On the other hand, there's a lot of people who speak English who didn't get ranked number one leadership thinker. Very true. Okay, so when you put it in that perspective, I, I grasp what it is that you're truly meaning. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Now, you're clearly, in my definition, you're a bit of an anomaly. You know, there's a lot of successful people walking the globe doing what it is that they're impassioned to do, what they deem to be their purpose and their mission in life. Um, but for you to have really aspired to get to the level where you are, and we know it's one thing to get there, it's another thing to maintain it, to sustain it, to grow it, to expand upon it. Um, so for you to innately have the qualities, the skills, the characteristics that would afford you the momentum to just keep going and keep outgrowing yourself and leveling up uh, unconditionally. I mean, what, what do you attribute that to? You know, it, it, I mean, clearly this is a passion. This is your purpose. This is your mission. But what is the one what is the one aspect out of everything that you do, Marshall, that you're always hoping is the takeaway for the people that you interface with and coach and lecture and speak to? Well, I, I think, number one, do what you love. So I yes. love what I do. I, you know, nobody, I don't have to work. Why am I working at my age? I love it. Mm -hmm. And I travel all around the world. I enjoy my work. So really, if you love what you do, number one, that makes life much easier. Number two, though, life is constant reinvention. Mm. And you mentioned getting to the top is one thing. Staying at the top is something else. Well, you know, it's uh, my good friend Whitney Johnson wrote a book called Disrupt Yourself. And you have to do that. Mm -hmm. if You can't really coast, and especially in the new world. You have to not just sit there and say, well, look, I'm a success, therefore I'll just keep doing this forever. You've got to be reinventing yourself. You've got to write the next book. You've got to look for new things to learn and grow and do because, you know, Bob Dylan has a quote, he was not busy being born, he was busy dying. So, you know, it's, it's not a matter of you become successful, then coast. It's really a matter of you become successful, you work very hard, and then you face the fact you have to reinvent yourself. Absolutely. Now, how is it that you are able to, with everything that you've already accomplished and for everything that, you know, people can Google you, they can Wikipedia you, how is it that you keep yourself fresh, whether it be content, whether it be additional clarity, you know, peeling back that onion to realize things that you didn't perhaps understand to the depth that you did before and everything else you endeavor to do without coming across as being redundant well again i think a lot of it is just loving what you do mm -hmm. i mean <laughs> i do a little i sing a little song every morning 
It gives me a lot of energy. Would you like to learn the song? I would love to hear your song. <laughs> There's no business like, like show business. So every day, like today, I'm giving a talk in front of 500 people. When right. I start saying up here, you know what I tell myself? It's showtime. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very healthy way to look at life. I mean, have you ever been to a Broadway play? Did mm -hmm. you ever see the kid out there saying, my foot hurts, I have a headache, I'm tired, I did this show last week? No, they're up, they're positive, night after night. Why is showtime? I think that's a great way to look at life. It's showtime. And when I coach executives, sometimes they get a little whiny, and I have to tell them, look, I give them the Broadway play story. I said, that kid's not complaining. Kid is making about one-thousandth what you are. Showtime. And, right. And be a professional. That's what life is. And to me, you know, I'm not big on whining and poor me and isn't life awful. You know, it's not awful. I think very lucky and very blessed. And, you know, I think it is showtime. So it's a great way to look at life. It makes you feel positive and upbeat and happy every day. Well, I love that metaphor. I really, truly do. I love metaphors, whether it be sports related or anything of the sort, music. Um, you said something that's also, uh, you know, a, a point that we talk about quite consistently on this program, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, and it's victimology. You know, a lot of people just can't get out of their own way. People just, you know, aren't committed to incorporating the good stuff so they can recalibrate their mindset, maybe get rid of all the indoctrinated blueprint that was impressed upon them from an early age, whether it came from the family, the generation, the era. Uh, old school way of thinking. So, you know, what do you say to people who are listening to you right now, Marshall, who are very truly generally inspired by your story, but they think that you fall into that category of being a select few? Yes, you've identified that you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And many of my guests, of course, are not the people who I believe aspire to this level. It's because it's come from being in the abyss at one point in their life and going, okay, I can make better choices for myself. This does not have to define me. This does not have to be the legacy I choose to leave behind or the script that takes me forward to the next, you know, throughout the trajectory of my life. So, you know, when it comes to people who are listening to you right now, Marshall, what would you say for anyone who's on the cusp? They, they love what you're saying. They respect what it is that you've managed to cultivate for yourself in your life, but they somehow have it, uh, they have that belief that, you know, you fall into that particular category of only a select few or or you were born with a certain gene that they somehow got missed in the birth channel. Like, what would you say? Well, the first thing is, you know, let go of the past. Yes. You know, in life, the one thing in life we cannot change is the past. What's done is done. Mm -hmm. Forgive yourself for whatever real or imagined mistakes you've made. Because you can't go back and redo those anyway. Forgive other people for being who they are and say, here I am today. Now, I'm going to give your listeners one technique that takes four minutes a day, costs nothing, will help them get better at almost anything. Mm -hmm. some, pe some people are skeptical right now. They're thinking four minutes a day, costs nothing, help me get better at almost anything. That sounds too good to be true. Half the people that start doing this quit within two weeks. And they don't quit because it doesn't work. They quit because it does work. This is very easy to understand, but hard to do. It's called the daily question process. And the way it works is you get out a spreadsheet. On one column, you write down a series of questions that represents what, represent what is most important in your life, friends, family, health, uh, work, whatever it is for you. Every question has to be answered with a yes, a no, or a number. And 
seven boxes across, one for every day of the week. At the end of the week, the spreadsheet gives you a report card. Now, again, I'll warn your listeners in advance, report card at the end of the week might not be quite as beautiful as the corporate values plaque they see stuck up on the wall. Right. If, you do, if you do this every day, you learn that life is incredibly easy to talk. Mm-hmm. Life is incredibly difficult to live. And you don't mm-hmm. look at those talking values. You look at those live values. It's a great way, though, to keep focused. Now, I'm going to give you my first six questions. If your listeners just ask yourself these six questions every day, our research on this is amazing how much better things get. And they all begin with the phrase, did I do my best to? Now, this goes Mm. back to your point. Did I do my best to? That's the one thing in life we can't blame on somebody else. Right. All we can do is our best. And, you know, you are where you are. Do your best. Well, the first one is, did I do my best to set clear goals today? Not did someone set goals for me. Did I do my best to set my own goals? Number two, did I do my best to make progress toward achieving my own goals? Don't wait for someone to, quote, motivate you. You know, you're responsible for your own life. Motivate yourself. Mm -hmm. Number three, did I do my best to find meaning? Uh, Did I do my best to find meaning? Two flight attendants on the same airplane. One's positive, motivated, upbeat, enthusiastic. One's negative, bitter, angry, and cynical. They're on the same flight. I'm sure you've been on that flight. One is finding meaning and one isn't. Well, a lot of meaning is what we create out of what's there, not just what's there. Number four, did I do my best to be happy? Rather than saying, did someone make me happy today? Did I make myself happy today? Number five, did I do my best to build positive relationships? So rather than saying, are other people trying to be my friend? Am I trying to be their friend? And finally, number six, did I do my best to be fully engaged? Rather than waiting for your company or the world to engage you, take responsibility for your own engagement. Well, just by doing this every day, the research we have is amazing. About a third of the people report they get better at everything. About two-thirds say they get better at four out of the six items. About 91% say they get better at least one. About 9% stay the same. And almost nobody gets worse. Why? Every day, and going back to your good point, these questions get us to focus on the one thing in life we can control. Did I do my best? Mm -hmm. And that takes you out of, as you said, victimology. I'm not familiar with that word, but I like it. It takes you out of that victim mindset and puts you into mindset of saying, look, here I am. All I can do is my best. Am I doing that every day? Lovely. And what I particularly love about that, um, I mean, that's so powerful and it's so empowering at the same time. But what I love about that, Marshall, and again, this is something that uh, is not uncommonly discussed on my program each week, is, you know, everything, and cliche, not my original thought, very hard to come upon an original thought these days, but everything does actually derive out of self. You know, this is why we have the phrases and the terms and the concepts and the practices Uh, that refer to self-esteem, self-worth, self-concept, self-confidence, self-discovery, self-worth, all these things. Because truly, what we see external to us is indicative of generally how it is we perceive ourselves. And so if we have a healthy, solid foundation of who it is we know ourselves to be and are committed to doing the work on ourselves, first and foremost, each and every day, well, doesn't then the world look like a more beautiful place? I agree. I agree. 
Now, the other thing that would very much interest me, particularly for where you are in the ranks on the leadership scale and in the business world, we know it's uh, an oversaturated industry, Marshall. We know that, you know, people are always talking about leadership. Uh, There's a gazillion books about the subject. People are blogging. People are podcasting about the subject at nauseum, and people are very much immersed and entrenched in the field. But for what we see, and not going down the rabbit hole here, um, but for what we see in terms of how leadership is perhaps depicted or illustrated these days, when we're looking at the younger generations coming up and they don't necessarily have a sense of prior history to know who in the past has really embodied um, leadership and who has really demonstrated that and has walked their talk and had a positive message that can resonate with everybody. What do you say about the current culture of leadership? Well, you know, I think people today are people. And Mm -hmm. there are many young people out there who I think have the potential to be fantastic leaders. Mm -hmm. So I am not down on the new generation of people at all. I think young people have the potential to be great leaders. A lot of young people are criticized for things that really... I think are just related to being young. Now, for example, one night I had dinner with Naran Murdy. Naran Murdy is a founder of Emphasis, is a business icon in India, just a great guy, multi-billionaire. And we had dinner together, and I have a PhD from UCLA, and he has a PhD from Berkeley. And I said, you know, Mr. Murdy, uh, when I was a kid, I was a communist hippie. You know what he said? Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what he said? If you're a communist when you're young, that just shows you have a heart. He said, if you're a communist when you're old, that shows you do not have a brain. Right. (laughs) I think a lot of young people believe things that young people believe. That doesn't mean they're bad or anything else. It just means they're kind of young and idealistic. And, yeah, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And and, and everybody changes as you grow older. So um, I think a lot of it is just a matter of maturity and you know, everybody learns as they grow up, and yeah, the world is different than it was. I, in many ways, the world is tougher than it was. Globalization is very hard. I'm very proud of my daughter, Kelly. She's a professor at Vanderbilt. She got a PhD from Yale. She was on Survivor, the third season, Survivor. Oh, really? Fantastic. Yeah. So anyway, Kelly, uh, when she got her PhD at Yale, there are 22 students in her department. She was the only one born in America. Wow. And, you know, when I went to school... Everybody was from the United States. When she went to school, she's the only one that was from the United States. And they weren't there to get drunk and go to parties. Mm-hmm. They're serious. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's tough out there. Global competition is very, very tough. We didn't have that in the past. We do now. So young people coming up are entering into a very, very positive world in terms of lots of opportunities, but a very challenging world in terms of tough competition. Okay, so there's a couple simultaneous thoughts that came to me. I'm going to try and hold them both. So if we go back a little bit to what you said, I I want to be a little bit more specific with my question, although I appreciate what came out of uh, your answer. So in terms of, you know, I'm not targeting millennials specifically or talking about uh, the the younger generation specifically, maybe Mm -hmm. not perceivably being deemed as leadership type material. Um, My point for not being clear, but if we look at, the world of politics right now, if we look at the different arenas of who claims to be a guru or uh, or who um, believes they hold that stature, we know there's a lot of things right now that are going on in the world that would skew the 
true definition, the core definition of what leadership means, what it embodies, um, what it radiates to other people in terms of in, in energy and interpretation. So when we look at what's happening in the world of so-called leadership, and some people have that title based on position but aren't necessarily walking the talk, what do you say about what's going on with the current culture of leadership? Well, to start with, one of the things I do when I'm interviewed is I only talk about areas where I'm an expert. Right. And, and I have a model, a theory. If I'm not an expert, I don't talk about it. I'm not an mm-hmm. expert on politics, and I'm not an expert on macro-level societal issues. I am an expert at helping individuals achieve positive long-term change in behavior. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot about that. And my friend Alan Mulally taught me this. He said, if you're not an expert and you're in a position of authority, don't express an opinion because you can actually do more harm than good. So I'm not an expert on politics, not an expert on broader societal issues. I'm not an expert necessarily on one generation as opposed to another. What I am an expert on, though, is helping people achieve positive long-term change in their behavior. Fantastic. Fantastic. I appreciate you saying that. You know, and although you are a self-proclaimed non-expert in the field of politics um, and world issues specifically, we are a byproduct of our community. We are a byproduct of our society and our culture. And those things do become penetrated into our sphere of energy, dependent upon, of course, we choose to allow it to come into our field. So, you know, clearly you're a very brilliant man. Clearly, you know enough about what's going on in the world. And I love the fact that you choose to be laser focused on what works for you, what fires you up every day and what you know is your purpose and your passion in terms of, you know, anchoring people along for the ride uh, and helping them to recognize what it is that they bring to the world in terms of their talents, their skills, their passions, their purpose and their mission. So, in terms of uh, let me give you an example about that my friend okay. who taught me this lesson um well to start with one of my clients was jp garnier ceo of GlaxoSmithKline. i asked jp what did you learn about leadership as a ceo of GlaxoSmithKline?" and he said i've learned a very hard lesson he said my suggestions become orders now i said if they're smart they're orders and if they're stupid they're orders and if i want them to be orders they're orders if i don't want them to be orders they're orders anyway my suggestions are orders I asked him, what did you learn from me when I was your executive coach that helped you the most? He said, you taught me one lesson that helped me be a better leader and have a happier life. I asked him, what was that lesson? He said, before I speak, stop and breathe and ask a question. Is it worth it? And he said, as the CEO of GlaxoSmithKline, 50% of the time, if I had the discipline to stop and breathe and ask myself, is it worth it? What did I decide? Am I right? Maybe. Is it worth it? No. Well, you know, my friend Alan Mulally was a CEO of Ford who did a turnaround. The stock went from a dollar to $18, probably the greatest CEO of the century. And Alan went to Ford and the stock was going to, the, the company was losing $17 billion. So he asked his top leaders, he said, each one of you, I want you to come to me with your top five objectives and rank them red, yellow, green. Green is, I'm on plan. Yellow is, I'm not on plan, I have a strategy to get there. And red is, I'm not on plan, and I have no strategy, I'm lost. Mm-hmm. Well, the first meeting, six, 16 leaders, five priorities each, everyone said green. So Alan said, well, we're losing $17 billion. If, <laughs> if we're all on plan, our plan must be to lose $17 billion. Let's write the plan over. This is not a good plan, right? Very bad, very bad. So finally, the next meeting, a guy said red. Alan stands up and applauds, and he said something very deep which he taught me a great lesson. He said, thank you for having the courage to say red. 
He said, you're not on plan and you don't know how to get there. Then he said something very profound. He said, as a leader, I want to assure you of one thing. My name is Alan Mulally. I'm the CEO of the Ford Motor Company. I know less than you do. Wow. I know less than you. And it's okay. Yes. Why don't we just work together and find people who know the answers and listen to them? And Alan's attitude is, if I'm not an expert on this topic and there are other experts out there, why am I speaking? Mm-hmm. I love Beautiful. that. I, yeah. I love that, too. Thank you for sharing that. By the Very way, powerful. How many, how many CEOs say that? Not too many. Not too many. See, and, our, certainly, and certainly don't go on record with that either. Oh, no. It's Fantastic. an amazing man. Amazing man. 90% of all CEOs would say, have you thought of this? And the second they said that, the direct report would have said, sir, yes, sir. And just run out and did it. Fantastic. Yeah, a lot so, of just. Uh, well, yes, it is. And I, I want to delve into that, too, because everybody who I interview who is successful in their own right, generally that comes from whatever works for them, whatever they've honed, whatever they've incorporated into their daily regimen mm-hmm. uh, to keep them on the straight and narrow and to keep them on the trajectory of going up, 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 up. Um, so what would some of your daily mantras, what would be some of your rituals, what would be some of your daily practices and routines that really you you would never think now to deviate from because it seems to be working for you? Well, I'm going to share some of my daily questions that I do on this daily question test every day. Mm-hmm. Mine, though, are not intended to be someone else's. If they work for you, great. If they don't work for you, write your own questions is my attitude. By the way, if you would like, if your listeners would like an article about this process and all my questions, just send me an email, marshall at marshallgoldsmith.com. And Marshall has two L's. I'll send them a copy of the article and, and my own questions. But one of mine every day is, how many times yesterday did you try to prove you were right when it was not worth it? Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty hard for that old professor not to be right all the time. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't see a lot of zeros there for me. Right. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, that is how, a tough one. How many angry or destructive comments did you make about people yesterday? Well, you know, I don't see as many zeros on that one as I should either. Uh, how many steps did you take? How many push-ups? How many sit-ups? Did you say or do something nice for your wife, your son, your daughter, your grandchildren? Just questions about life every day. How many minutes mm-hmm. did I write? Well, you know, those books don't write themselves. How many minutes did I write? So just a bunch of questions about life every day and just the process is what's good because it gives you the discipline to ask yourself, really, not what's most important to Marshall, but what's most important to me. And am I doing that? Because that's right. what really matters. Yeah. Lovely. Well, and I want to I want to delve into that point, um, you know, because. Those are very profoundly key questions, and they certainly will keep you on the straight and narrow, and they will make you have to think twice about, am I being authentic? Am I being genuine, or am I being disingenuous? Am I being honest? Am I being congruent? Do my words match my actions uh, and my behaviors, and is that showing up in my results, et cetera, et cetera? Um, But I also talk about, and and, you know, again, not a unique thought, um, but how we dialogue with ourselves is so crucial. So before I would even go so far as to say, was I kind to somebody else? Did I offer an unsolicited compliment? You know, did I do something voluntary to help somebody without them necessarily having to ask for my intervention or my assistance? You know, I think it's important that we are to ourselves, first and foremost, what we would not only want to admit out there to other people externally, but the reciprocal of what we would hope 
you know, synergistically would come back to us as well and keep us all flowing in that positive vibe of co-creation and anchoring people up and empowering other people to empower themselves. So uh, for me, you know, I think self-dialogue is so key because if you're self-deprecating, if you're always looking for the failure, if you're always looking for what you did wrong, if you're always focusing on your weaknesses as opposed to your uh, strength areas, then again, energetically, that's what you're going to emit out to the rest of the world. And that's completely counterintuitive. And if you're looking for results, if you're looking for things to come to fruition, uh, the chances of that happening with that type of mindset is is next to none, zero to none. Um, so what would you say about self-dialogue and embracing yourself, you know, being your own hero, being your own Shiro, being your own best friend, being your own leader? Well, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, and I think it's very good to, as I said, forgive yourself, too. Just yes. not beat yourself up over the past. I, I just wrote a, a new book with Sally Helgeson called How Women Rise. Mm-hmm. And one of the issues that women have more than men are women tend to be more self-critical than men. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that comes out in the book is exactly what you talk about is don't be too hard on yourself. You know, you can't be that perfect everything to everyone. You're just human. Don't be too hard on yourself. Be able to forgive yourself and be able to say, look, what I did, I did. Let's start over. It's a new day. I'm going to make the best of today. I'm not going to ruminate on the past about what all went wrong and all the million mistakes I've made. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes every day. And it's just part of life. That's what it's what you learn from. So I think, you know, very, very good comments and really and especially with women. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't be too self-critical. You can't be the perfect everything to everyone. And sometimes women, I I learned a new concept in the book that I never even heard of from my friend Sally. That was this. She says, don't sacrifice your career for your job. A lot of women are so focused on doing a perfect job, they Mm -hmm. sacrifice their career. They spend so much time trying to make their job perfect they think, well, that's how I have a great career. Well, not necessarily. Maybe you need to be learning new things, reinventing yourself, developing relationships. Maybe getting that 98 to 99 is not worth it. And, you know, I've got feedback at the office from thousands of people, and I never read this comment. I really love working for a perfectionist. Hmm. Nobody ever said that. Right. <laughs> so, you know, being excellent is great. Being perfect is not going to happen. Well, being perfect is completely unattainable because truly there is no definition of perfection. That's right. Um, Right? Absolutely. So I think once you embrace that, you free yourself up to fly. Um, But I want to go back to what you said there, you know, because I don't believe in coincidences, Marshall. So when you talk about, uh, you know, key points having been highlighted in that book and how women are are notably more self-critical and self-deprecating as opposed to their counterparts, you know, males – um, you, you know, I know what I would attribute that to, you know, when we look at culture, we look at society, we look at uh, some of the inequities and how women are, you know, doing the same output, but they're not necessarily being recognized or compensated. Some countries, if you're, uh, you know, uh, if a woman's having a female child as opposed to a male child, then that's uh, discredited. I mean, so do you think, I mean, there's obviously correlation between why certain statistics or why certain indicators 
crop up as 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 prevalent. So you know, would, clearly you would understand being a brilliant man why women perhaps are perceivably out of the two genders, the ones who tend to be more self-critical. Correct? Yeah, I agree with you. That's very logical. And what I love about our book is it focuses not on what you probably are not going to change. It focuses on what you have control over yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when you look at leadership, when you look who's on the stage right now, when you look who you know is notably recognized as a leader, how have you seen in, in your decades of success it going from once upon a time predominantly a male-dominated industry to now you're starting to see women coming through the ranks and even more so than perhaps men at more of an accelerated pace. What, what do you attribute that to? Well, I mean, women didn't have a chance in the past. So you right? know, it's pretty hard to be a successful leader when you don't have a chance to be a successful leader. Women have much more opportunity today. I think we're far from there. I mean, of the Fortune 500 companies, I believe 27 have women CEOs. So I think we have a ways to go on this journey. And that's what our book was about. What I like about our book is our book doesn't say to a woman, you should try to be a CEO or you should try to achieve this level of you know, influence. What it does say, if you want to, if you would like to, here's some things that we believe might help you. And what I am so proud of in our book is our book has received no negative political feedback from the left side or the right side, either one. Wow, that's unheard of. (laughs) Well, it is kind of unheard of. I'm very proud of that. And the reason is we don't focus on that. Mm -hmm. We don't focus on what you're not going to change. We focus on what you can change. And we don't make a value judgment. Mm -hmm. We don't say every woman should try to be a CEO. What we say, though, is if this is what you would like, and we think it would be great if more women were in higher levels of positions of authority, if this is what you don't want to go for it, then here's some ways it might help you. Excellent. Well, congratulations on that. Let me ask you this question then. So if we're talking about statistics and we're talking about, you know, the female uh, demographic versus the male demographic, you know, in terms of the people that you've coached and mentored, Mm -hmm. have you come to have you come to see a correlation between uh, perhaps women being less or more coachable than your men clients based on what you've identified as being highlighted in your book about women being more self-critical? Do you notice a difference in terms of coachability? Yeah, in terms of coachability, I'm not a really good sample on that one because I only work with coachable people. I have a very unique billing system. I don't get paid if my clients don't get better. And better is not judged by me or my client. Better is judged by everyone around my client. Given that, I have zero interest in working with people who don't care. Awesome. So, yeah, if they don't care, that's I'm not here to Why judge. should you? <laughs> Why should I? And, if, you know, I don't get paid if they don't get better. So if they don't care and they have an attitude, I just don't work with them. So yeah, Marshall goes hungry if that's your business model. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So I just don't work with them. So there's no point. Uh, everyone I work with is very motivated. And my job is helping successful, motivated people get better. And some, might, some people have asked, well, why would these fancy CEOs you coach, why would they have a coach? They're already mega successful. How many of the top 10 tennis players have a coach? Absolutely. Ten. Well, why do they have a coach? Because they want to be more successful. The world's mm-hmm. greatest uh, choreographer is a woman named Twyla Tharp. She's had the same personal trainer every day for 27 years. Why? Mm-hmm. Which the trainer doesn't teach her anything new. She's smart enough to realize she needs help. I have a woman call me on the phone every day. 
She just listens to me read the questions I wrote and provide answers I wrote every day. Now, why do I do this? Somebody asked me, don't you know the theory about how to change behavior? I wrote the theory about how to change behavior. Why do I do this? It's simple. My name is Marshall Goldsmith. (laughs) I got ranked number one leadership thinker and number one coach in the world. I have a woman call me up every day just to listen to me read questions I wrote and provide answers I wrote. Why do I do this? I'm too cowardly to do it by myself. I'm too undisciplined. I need help. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay to need help. Once we get over that macho nonsense of I can do everything on my own, life is better. You know know what I tell people? If you've got something you haven't done for 20 years, why do you think you're going to start doing it next week? Right. (laughs) Very true. Very true. Well, let me let me ask you this then, Marshall. Um, you know, we know because I've had different coaches and I've had different mentors, uh, different people who have been very instrumental in my own growth and development as I've risen in ranks, um, for lack of a better term, of my own growth and development. And, you know, sometimes people outgrow each other. And so a good coach, a good mentor would always say, you know what, I think we've gone as far as we can go with one another. I'm quite happy with the results. I'm I'm glad that you're happy with the results because you're also committed to ongoing growth and development. There may come a point in your journey where we've kind of expired with one another and you need to move on to someone else. I mean, but for for your level of coaching and and for your level of success, who would you possibly recommend a client to go to beyond yourself? Well, I think there are a lot of great people. The way I would answer that question is, go to to what? For example, uh, I'm an expert at helping successful leaders achieve positive, lasting change in behavior. As you've noticed, outside of that, I don't really try to express a lot of opinions because I'm not an expert. My friend David Allen is the world's expert on getting organized and personal productivity. Mm-hmm. Well, if you need, I, I had him coach me. Right. I mean, he I read the book, but he wrote the book. You know, he knows a whole lot more than I do. My friend uh, Rita McGrath is an expert on strategy. I'm not an expert on strategy. She is. So I would really say look for people that have expertise that matches Mm -hmm. your unique needs, not just is someone a good coach. Right. I'm, I'm a good coach at what I do. Mm -hmm. I'm not really helpful to people, though, that have other needs. Excellent. Love it. Well, I really know yourself well, which is why you're as successful as what you are, because that's key, right? If you don't have a clue as to who you are, what your strengths are, what your assets are, um, you know, how then can people understand what your message is? How can anything you impart to them truly resonate and land? So this is why you're on my show today, Marshall. And this is why you, again, going back to the top of the hour, you have all these accolades and, and recognition. And this is why you excel at what you specifically excel at. Now, you know, I'm sure there's a million uh, testimonials and endorsements. If I were to ask you the question, you know, can you tell me an example of prior to somebody having connected with you to commencing upon working with you to Mm. perhaps being further ahead in the journey and the tangible results having shown up, you know, you'd have a million uh, testimonials and endorsements to support the answering of that question. What I would be more interested in knowing is going back to you only work with people who are, in fact, coachable, who want to get better um, Mm -hmm. and who are committed to that. Now, has there ever been a point where somebody initially upon meeting you, it was clear that they were uncoachable, but then over a period of time they did 
either on their own volition or through YouTube remaining somehow connected, they came back and they came back like gangbusters and whatever it was that their result was or whatever it was they were aspiring to, aspiring to get better at uh, or excel at. You know, do you have a story such as that? Uh, I, I'm sure there are such stories. I don't have any because I wouldn't work with them. Again, I have 10 times as many requests for coaching as I have, as I have time to do it. Right. So, I'm, I'm not I'm really not in the savior business and uh, I'm not in the motivating the uncaring business. And there's nothing wrong with that business, by the way. That's just not what I do. So I, I am actually not into the motivating those that don't care to start caring business. I'm right. in helping those that do care get better business. And I get that. But what I what I'm trying to get at is, has there been a shift from initial consult to maybe it being clear okay i thought i was coachable i thought i was ready to take the take the leap of faith with you not quite there yet but then after a period of time of reflection and introspection they came back and they just soared if they said they're not quite there yet i would probably say goodbye okay <laughs> good enough okay let's move on from this moving on moving, moving on. along clock is okay. ticking absolutely <laughs> So for somebody, like I say, for somebody who has accomplished as much as what you have, what is next on the horizon for you? What have you not accomplished or endured to do that's on your list of, okay, now maybe it's the right time I can embark upon this? What would that be for you, Marshall? Well, I've got two new books on the horizon. One is called Stakeholder-Centered Leadership, which I think I want to give away. And it's really a summary of all of my views on the leader of the past, the leader of the future, why the future is going to be different than the past, and some ideas for the leader of the future. The second book is called Leading Your Own Life. And that is really focused on helping people lead their own life and not live vicariously or through others. And I'm going to talk especially a lot about the new technology and how that can sort of push us to be so focused on other people, we're not actually taking responsibility for leading our own lives and some strategies to maybe help people do a better job of leading their own lives. So those are two projects I'm working on right now. Fantastic. And what about upcoming speaking engagements, anything of that nature? What else is on the calendar for anybody who might want to sign up for anything or uh, just be more mindful of what's coming up for you? You know, September 30th, I've got one coming up. It's kind of interesting in Amsterdam. Yeah, wow. I'm, be, I'm working with this other guy. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting contract. He wanted to get his picture made with me and he's he, he's he's unemployed right now. And He's kind of looking for work, but he seems like a good guy, Barack Obama character. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm going to be the opening act for Barack Obama in Amsterdam coming up at the end of the month. So that should be fun. And, out. <laughs> you know, I just did a program. I did a program in Moscow with 20,000 people recently. That was fun. So I travel all around the world giving talks, which is great. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's uh, I got goosebumps when you said that. That's going to be yeah. phenomenal. And sorry, w when is that again? September 30th. September 30th. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so with everything that you've done, Marshall, do you have a certain platform or vehicle in which to impart your message that you are more passionate about, whether it be speaking, whether it be individual coaching, whether it be being an author, uh, you know, taking pen to paper? You know, it, it, do you have within that sphere of what you do, is there one that speaks to you more than the other in terms of passion? Well, they're different. So yeah, they me, are. Very different. I love speaking and teaching 
because that's just what I enjoy the most. It's fun for me. I, I like the process of doing it. I love coaching because coaching is where I learn everything. In theory, I'm supposed to teach my clients. In practice, I learn far more than I teach. Mm-hmm. Then writing and videos, that's the way I reach people. I have over 1.1 million followers on LinkedIn. Wow. So um, I've got a lot of followers. I make videos every week. And I give all my material away. You can copy, share, download, duplicate any of my materials. Um, and also, I'm adopting people. So I made a little selfie video on LinkedIn in honor of my heroes and said, uh, you know, these people were nice to me. My name is Marshall Goldsmith. I'm going to give away everything I know to 15 people. All you have to do when you get old is do the same thing. If you're interested, let me know. Over 16,000 people applied. Wow. Now I've, um, I've, it's a project called 100 Coaches. So now I have about 120 people that I'm teaching them all I know for free and they're helping each other for free. And our rules are no money, no guilt, no expectations. We're just trying to help each other. It's a wonderful that, idea. That's beautiful. And so with all the people who would apply and, and uh, provide submissions, you know, what would be some of your criteria outside of instinctually going, okay, this is this this person qualifies? How do you discern that? Well, I really wanted to get a lot of diversity so that mm-hmm. when we meet, people get, you know, they're not all the same type. Right. So we have... Um, some corporate leaders, like my friend who was president of the Girl Scouts, the CEO Ford, the president of the World Bank. We have some nonprofit leaders, head of the Rockefeller Foundation, some hospital leaders, the head of the Mayo Clinic, St. Jude's Hospital, Dean of Harvard Medical School. We have some great executive coaches. We have leadership development people. We have 15 of the top 50 business thinkers in the world. Uh, and then just a lot of interesting people. The woman that runs Sesame Street, for example, Mission Control Director of NASA, uh, Chris Cuomo. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a CNN guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pau Gasol is a basketball player for the Lakers, really thoughtful guy. So uh, just a really interesting, eclectic mix of people. Fantastic. And is this something that you open up on a an annual basis, or is this like a one-stop shop, one-time well, deal? Anyone, any, I mean, anyone can apply. I just want to be realistic. It's not easy to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, just send me an email, marshall at marshallgoldsmith.com. Just here's who I am. Here's my bio. Here's, you know, why I should get accepted to this, and here's how um, I, I plan to give back to others. If you go to my website, just go to www.marshallgoldsmith.com slash welcome, W-E-L-C-O-M-E. You'll see who all the people are and how the process works. Okay, well, I'll definitely be applying. Wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge. <laughs> it's a fun idea. It's a wonderful. I mean, you'll see the group. The group is amazing. Well, and the thing is, we we know nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? If you don't ask, the answer will always be no. So this is what I encourage people, never quit, never give up, because sometimes people get, you know, if they don't get a resounding automatic bullseye, yes, slam dunk, then that somehow discourages them and they just give up and they think, okay, this is like a long shot or this is never going to pan out. Um, But usually the people who are in the background looking at people at your level, they're going, okay, who's really persistent here? Who's consistent? Who's got fire in their belly? Who, who's got the right mental attitude and aptitude that they would constitute being considered a candidate, a successful candidate for this program? And that's really about anything in life, truly, uh, I believe. So I li- 
Yes. So Marshall, being cognizant of time, because these shows always go far too quickly for my liking, I want to give you the floor here. I want to give you the opportunity to reiterate where it is people can find you, where people can have a consult with you, connect with you, um, where people can buy your books, and uh, and any last-minute takeaways, anything that you would wish to say to impress upon the listening audience out of you know, your years of coaching, what would be the one thing that you, that you say when you're on the stage? What is the thing that you want to last penetrate and resonate with the listening audience and the podcast subscribers? Well, first to reach me, it's very simple. My web, my website is www.marshallgoldsmith.com and Marshall has two L's. My email is marshall at marshallgoldsmith.com. So that's the easiest way to reach me. My final advice is to just take a deep breath for your listeners. Take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. And imagine you're 95 years old and you're just getting ready to die. Right before you take the last breath, you're given a beautiful gift, the ability to go back in time and talk to the person's listening to me right now. The ability to help that person be a better leader, even more important, have a better life. What advice would that wise old you who knows what mattered and what didn't have for the you that's listening to me right now? Hmm. And whatever you're thinking now, do that. Some friends of mine interviewed old people, and three themes come up. Number one is be happy now. Not next week, not next month, not next year. Be happy now. Number two is build great relationships with people, people you love, people you work with. Build great relationships with people. And and the one you've talked about a lot is go for it. If you have a dream, go for it. If you don't go for it when you're 35, you're probably not when you're 85. Just get out there and do it. Mm -hmm. So that tends to be the advice from old people, which – Everyone needs to look in the mirror, as you said, and figure out what, what's the best advice for me. Absolutely. Well, Marshall, I can't thank you enough for the gift of your time, your wisdom, your insights. Um, you're clearly rocking it. Uh, I'm one of your loyal fans, and I just oh, want to thank say you thank so you much. so much. And you have an open standing invitation to come back here anytime, because for somebody who's continuously got you know, all kinds of hands in the pots, there's always going to be momentous, continuous updates that uh, you would wish to share with the listening audience. So please know you're always welcome to join us here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. I want to say to my, yes, thank you. So I'd like to say to my listening audience, thank you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules for joining us here, myself and Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. Uh, We come live here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, as you know, every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, which converts to 10 Central, which converts to 11 Eastern. I want to thank once again my corporate sponsors, which are inclusive of AHA That Forever, as well as Halton Honda. I also want to remind you, as well as thank my family and friends over at C-Suite Radio Network, where eventually you can find the podcast link also on my host page, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, with the C-Suite Radio Network. And again, thank you to the Contact Talk Radio Network, which is, of course, where I go live every Friday. So I want to wish you a fantastic weekend. I'm here to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Looking forward to doing this again with you all next Friday. Take care. Love and gratitude, all my best. Bye-bye, Marshall. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.